Well, thank you so much for the dynamic music, Hope, and thank you, um, Vance Pittman, for the opportunity and privilege to be here. Uh, I have tried through the years to hardly ever use the words that I really sense God has laid something in particular on my heart. He gets blamed for enough. But the truth is, I really do believe God has laid a message on my heart for our pastor's conference. So I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I want to read just one passage of Scripture, and then I want to make some statements that I believe uh, we as a convention need to hear, and in particular, we as pastors. I really believe that what happens in the future in the Southern Baptist Convention will really be primarily as a result of what happens in the life of the pastors of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I'll tell you why I believe that from this text. Thank you, Bob Pittman, for the wonderful message. Wish I could have heard all. And for all of you that traveled over from the East Coast today, hang with me for these next 30 minutes, and let's stay awake together. In 1 Corinthians 16, in verse 9, the Bible says, For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Uh, when I was praying through what God wanted me to preach tonight, I was in the book of James, and I thought, boy, it's James 4, verses 1 through 3, because it is one of the clearest passages in the Bible where the half-brother of our dear Lord, I believe, says that the reason we're not getting more done for the kingdom is because of hedonism, the desire for pleasure. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard anyone say that or not, but I believe if Jesus Christ came tonight and the church of the Lord Jesus from the 21st century stood before the judgment seat of Christ, one of the major issues would be that we were not able to do more for the kingdom because we did so much for our kingdom. Lovers of pleasure, hedon, where we get the word hedonism, is the word desire in James chapter 4 and verses 1 through 3. And then I moved from there and I thought, you know, I am convinced God wants me to preach on thorns in the ministry. And I preached that at First Baptist Church Woodstock. And then I began to think of how I was sitting in Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary uh, listening to someone years ago, and God just began to impress something upon my heart. There was a napkin in the uh, pew holder, and I took an ink pen, and I wrote down the major statements I'm going to give to you tonight. And I'd, I'd originally entitled this, If the Lord Permits, but I want to dedicate this message to my missions pastor, Chip Riggs. He's sitting down front here. Chip uh, celebrates his birthday tomorrow, and I love Chip. He was with me for seven years, and then we started a church out in Las Vegas. And uh, the pastor out there, uh, the ministry was so blessed of God with Vance that Chip began to sense God wanted him to be a part of that work. And that was about nine years ago. And just in recent days, he has made his way back to First Baptist Church. So thank you, Vance, and thank you, Chip. So with that in mind, one of the things that we're taking to First Woodstock in these next few weeks is really what we call the kingdom life. And I want you to listen to me. I want to delineate from the life of the Apostle Paul what the kingdom life looks like. We talk a lot about the kingdom of God impacting the kingdom, uh, the kingdom person. But I believe Paul was a person that mirrored and emulated the kingdom, kingdom life. Uh, Paul was a person who wanted to serve the Lord with a vision God had given him for the future. See, the Christian who really loves Christ and his church will see needs 
that are yet to be fulfilled and opportunities that are not yet met. And he can't help but planning ahead, looking for more ways to serve the Lord and for more open doors. He understands the principle of redeeming the time. Paul was not content resting on what had already been accomplished. So he had plans and he was willing at the moment to change those if he sensed the Spirit of God leading him differently. So even while he was living in Ephesus where he spent three years, he was planning his next steps in ministry. What should he do in Macedonia, in Corinth, and in Jerusalem? Uh, We as a Southern Baptist Convention have had a blessed past, and I'll make reference to that. But I personally sense that God desires to be with us in a more mighty way in the present and in the future if we are to touch this nation, which we're not touching as we ought, and the nations of the world. And so I pray that God will help us to see that our future can be as bright as the promises of God. So I want to encourage you to write down four statements. I believe that Paul emulated a kingdom life, and he did it, first of all, listen to this, by having possessions that he wished to give. I made this statement many years ago, and I believe it's more true than ever. Whatever is important to you as a pastor is what will be important to your people. I'm telling you, if you're not concerned about personally sharing your faith, it will not be on the front burner at your church. If you're not involved in taking your people to the nations, in planting churches locally and globally, it will not be on the hearts of your people. And listen to this. Too long I've heard it said when guys like myself preach, well, there's old Johnny Hunt. You can do that when you're in a big church. That is not a true statement. You can do it when you serve a big God. Let's get away from a big church. What's a big church when there's just a few thousand people in a city with five million people? It is a big God we've got to reflect on, and everybody can be a part of the work when we acknowledge the God that we're doing it for. And so Paul was a giver. In the first four verses of 1 Corinthians 16, He talked about about taking an offering, and this ought to speak to this generation in particular. They were taking an offering for the poor Jews down in Jerusalem, and most of the money was coming from Gentiles. God was greatly going to bless this movement. Here's one of the great needs in our denomination in the life of us pastors. We need as much, if not more, emulation as we have exhortation. We have learned how to say it, We've just got to learn how to do it. And we've got to do it by example and giving the people a way to follow. So the Apostle Paul was burdened for the poor in Jerusalem. And as a result, he was receiving an offering and helping them during their hardship. And maybe you'll remember that the church at Macedonia was the church that literally the Greek text says, were living in days of rock bottom destitution, and yet they begged to be involved in the offering. So Paul encouraged them to give as they had prospered. The word prospered is the word that translates a good journey. God has given the average Baptist a good journey. And so we ought to be giving out of that journey. So the amount to be given was in direct proportion to God's financial blessings. I was out walking, praying through this message the other day. Here's what came to my mind. Every church I pastored, been a pastor 35 years. First church had 35 people, Livonia Baptist Church. Gaffney, South Carolina. Second church was uh, Falls Baptist Church, Wake Forest, North Carolina. Had 37 my first Sunday. 
Longleaf Baptist Church, church I was converted in. I served there six years. First Sunday, 90 people. First Baptist Church, Woodstock, that I've been serving for the last 25 years, 250 people our first service. Every one of those churches, without exception, have been great giving churches. I'm pastoring a very, very, very generous church. Not not just a large church, a generous church. Pastor, what what do you believe some of the potentials are to be a person who has possessions that we wish to give? And listen to this. I not only have a passion for what I'd like to see our people do, I've got a passion of what I believe God would have me to do. I want to be a kingdom man. I don't want to just build a kingdom church. I want to be a kingdom pastor, a kingdom man of God. Otis Scruggs, who paid for my college, bought my clothes, believed in me when I was in my first church, 23 years old, was constantly giving. He gave me this one-liner. Pastor Johnny, you'll never miss anything you give away. David Carroll, a businessman, lives in Memphis, Tennessee now. Sat in my office one day after writing a generous check. And here's what he said. Listen to this. I want to give while my hands are warm. While my hands are warm. What if we challenged our people? Don't just think about what you're going to do with the money and how it's going to be dispersed after you're gone. Give it while your hands are warm. I gave a little statement years and years ago, and it just seemed to take hold. And that is... We're never more like Jesus than when we're giving. Augustine, before he died, said this. Listen to these words. The Lord has been good to me. He has given me more than I need. I want to make sure you listen to this. It's hard to stay off your phones. And so I want you, if you'll put your phones up for a moment, don't you listen to this. The Lord has been good to me. He has given me more than I need. But he has shown me there are others that need it. God has not given me the extras so I can continue to purchase the extras. God has given me the extras because there's others that need it. Possessions he wishes to give. If I'm going to be a kingdom pastor, if I'm going to have a kingdom life, I've got to, first of all, turn the searchlight of God's Holy Spirit through the Word of God to my own life and pose the question, what am I doing with the possessions that God has given me? If you'd have taken a serious look this morning as a pastor at the offering that you were holding in your hand before you put it in a plate or if you gave online, what percentage of what you're making are you believing God to give back into the kingdom? Are we really living like we're leaving? Are we convinced, are the people seeing through our emulation that we really are concerned about this nation and the nations of the world? God is allowing us to join him locally. I didn't get to hear all of the early pastors, but listen to this statement. This is the latest stats. Maybe you've already heard them. Baptisms. Just this week, we've been notified. We as Southern Baptists are at the lowest in 60 years. CNN's even running articles on our decline. Ed Stetzer reminded us that we must not grow accustomed to decline and then think back to the good old days of growth. And just for the record's sake, we baptized more people at Woodstock last year than we've ever seen come to faith in Jesus Christ in my 35 years as a pastor. 
And I was out 11 weeks struggling with cancer and other issues and serving as president of the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm telling you, God wants to bring this nation to himself. There's no reason for Southern Baptists to continue to go backwards. Chuck Kelly warned that Southern Baptists are in danger of entering a deep decline with all the accompanying problems. Here's the sad thing. Watch Twitter. Twitter, follow her on Facebook. Look at all the blogs. And basically what's happening in the Southern Baptist Convention is everybody wants to weigh in on what the problem is. Hey, I'll tell you where you'll find a problem. Bless God, find a mirror and ask the Holy Ghost to speak into the life who holds the mirror. We need to come together. Too long have we pointed our guns at one another to say, here's the problem. We just need to get back to what brought us to where we are. Four years in a row, statistics confirm a long-term trend of membership decline in the Southern Baptist Convention. We were down 5% in baptisms last year. Our memberships dropped 1.59%. We've got to move from denial to decision. We've got to get committed to church planning. First Baptist Church Woodstock, as I speak this moment, we're planning eight Southern Baptist churches in this country. We're planning a church in Paris. God is using a ministry there, large cities, the Babel Belt, less evangelized parts of the country. And some of you, again, would say, boy, we're a small church. We can't plant a church. Everybody can get piece of the action. Man, I'd go find me five brothers in my association, had my same passion for Jesus, and we'd get together and we'd start us a church. We just believe God. Does it take a big church to start a church or a big God to start a church? What is it that, that makes a man of God different and special? Is it a God he serves or the church he leads? And by the way, here's a great statement. It's not the denomination that is great. Rather, it is that a denomination is a family of great people that make up great churches. May the truth of where we are break our hearts, drive us to our knees, and compel us into the mission. God is allowing us to join him globally. This morning I preached at 9.30 and 11 at First Baptist Church Woodstock. You could go online and you would see a group of young people and adults stand as we commissioned them to work for the next 10 days in Kenya. Then right behind them I recognized another large group that were leaving for France. And then a group that is ministering here in America in West Virginia in the second poorest county in America. And then a large group that are planting churches in Argentina. Just business as usual. God is calling us. We have possessions. We need to give. Here's a prayer for our SBC family. Maybe be a shining light to the nations, a shining light to the people of the earth. Till the whole world sees the glory of your name, may your pure light shine through us. May we bring a word of hope to the nations, a word of life to the people of the earth. Till the whole world knows there's salvation through your name. May your mercy flow through us. May we be a healing bomb to the nations, a healing bomb to the people of the earth till the whole world knows the power of your name. May your healing flow through us. May your kingdom come to the nations. Your will be done in the people of the earth till the whole world knows that Jesus Christ is Lord. May your kingdom come to the earth. Now listen carefully. If you're going to be a person with the kingdom life, you have to recognize, here's where it starts. I have possessions I need to give. Forget the church you lead. Forget the potential of what others are doing. Eddie Carswell recently wrote a song for our church with new song. 
And it, it's entitled, Give Yourself Away. And part of the lyric says, don't wait to see what others are going to give before you give. We know there's a need and we think, let's just see what they're going to give. When we think about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, falling behind $175 million gold, $146,800,000. The question is not, listen, listen to me, leaders, the question is not what did your church give? The question is, what did you give? Before I ever went overseas, back in the late 80s, Brother Bob, I used to give $100. God is my, I'd write a $100 check and I thought, man, if everybody do what I'm doing, I mean, there's 16 million members of us. That's a joke. But the bottom line is, that's what we'd say and we'd say we'd be there. But when God got hold of my heart, I started giving a thousand times more. You do the math, you just say, well, he started giving a thousand. And then as I continue to go, God moved me to, listen to me, 10,000% more than what I gave. It all starts with us as leaders, not just the churches we lead. It's what we emulate that the people get in the kingdom life. Here it is. Listen carefully. In the kingdom life is the possessions we give. Number two is the places we go. I was looking just a moment ago. I've got in my daytimer. I'm sorry for those of you that are better IT people than me. You'd say, put it in your phone. I was looking, Lord, in Jesus' name, I've been praying. When am I going back to Turkey to train Iranian pastors? I pray every single morning for Farshid. Farshid, I had an opportunity to, to bond and build a special relationship with him in Istanbul, Turkey. He is out of uh, the heart of Iran. He's like a modern-day Apostle Paul. He's been in jail since December the 25th. I have a personal copy of the voice uh, message that he left on a friend's phone is he said, I'm on my way to the house and my wife just texted me and the officials are waiting for me. He's been in prison, mostly in solitary confinement since the 25th of December. I wish you could hear the boldness. There's places we need to go. We're praying through, God, what are we going to do in Turkey next year? What do you want us to do in France? What are we going to do in Argentina? God, what do you want me to do with those great leaders in El Salvador? And let me tell you why God's recaptured my heart for South America and for Central America. We are now going into South America and Central America and challenging those Latinos to go to the Middle East. We've planted several families in Turkey and northern Iraq. They, they play the same sports. They look like one another. They pick up on the language a lot faster and you can plant them cheaper. And so we're just saying, God, how can we touch the nations. So Paul in verses 5 through 9 talked about opportunities. He talked about the places he wished to go. Did you see how he put it in verse 7? If the Lord permits, if it's the will of God, here's where I want to go. But he was consumed with places he wanted to go. He looked not only for opportunities that God was giving him. Listen to me. He looked for open doors. God, what doors are you opening for me to go? He said there's an effective door. God's opened a powerful door for him from his base in Ephesus. All of Asia was evangelized. God used Paul in a great, great way. He would go to those major metropolitan cities like Southern Baptists are attempting to do now. Spurgeon said in his lifetime, if we do not stab the major cities in America in the heart, we'll never touch this nation. What are we doing as a Southern Baptist Convention? After all these years, thank God we're finally getting it. We're looking, saying, what are we doing in Phoenix? What are we doing in San Diego? What are we doing in Los Angeles? What are we doing in Washington State? And we're, we're picking these major, major cities in these states, and we realize we've got to make a difference there. And he realized there was obstacles. 
Uh, They were doors God had wonderfully opened and they were doors that Satan had woefully opposed. But he looked for those places. Instead of complaining about the obstacles, he took advantage and captured the opportunities and left the results to God. So here it is. A kingdom life is one who has possessions to give. What would God have me to give? What would God have me to give? Number two, where would God have me to go? A kingdom person is always looking for the places where he is and other places God would have him to go. Listen to this. When you're living the kingdom life, you're looking for people to grow. You, you will never, listen, you will never be without mentoring and mentors when you're desiring to be a kingdom person. Paul wanted to teach every Christian everything he could, every opportunity he had. So Paul was a people person. Listen to this. He was a people person, not an agenda person. He, he didn't have an agenda. I didn't come to the Southern Baptist Convention with an agenda. I came as a people person. I want to touch people. I want to influence others for the kingdom of God. I want to see the nations come to Christ. I want to see Woodstock touched in a greater way for the glory of God. Notice he he mentions him. He mentions a mentee. He talks about Timothy in verses 10 and 11. He's basically reminding Timothy, quit being so timid and don't look down on your youthfulness. Here was a young man. Listen to what he said about Timothy. Please hear this. He said this of Timothy, a young mentee. He does the work of the Lord. What he was saying is here's a young man that's devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We must have a plan to raise up the next generation. The oldest generation may indeed be the greatest that I've ever known. But it must not be the last. If you miss that, you miss what I came to say. Thank God for the last generation. But it must not be the last. There's mentees. There is not a person in this room that's been used by God to any noticeable measure that you have not been used because of the investment that someone ahead of you made in your life. All of us, the ones that are in their 60s, the ones that are in their 70s, the ones that have led this denomination, somebody poured into you. And it's our responsibility, if we're kingdom people, to reach back and pour into the generation that comes behind us. Let me, let me quote two great men. Jimmy Draper has had a profound influence on my life. When I was in my 30s, here's what he said. He said, Pastor Johnny, it seems like God has his hand on you. Seems like God is really using you. If God continues to use you, bring the next generation with you. What does that look like? I don't know what it looks like, but I'll tell you what I've done for 19 years. For 19 years, I spend a minimum of two weeks, most years, four to five weeks with young pastors. I got a text just a moment ago. He's sitting here. I picked him out in the crowd there a moment ago. Michael Lewis, Richmond, Georgia, small rural church. But I watched God mold that young man. And I thought, man, I I, I just, every chance I got, I wanted to be around him. If I could add any value to his life. I look back and I I remember meeting a young guy named Jeff Crook 
Uh, I, through the years, I've met so many. I could call their names right now. They, they've just been young mentees, just guys that I'd say, man, I, I'm going to take every call. I'm going to answer every email. I've tried to do it with all because I'm concerned about the generation that comes behind us. I remember one day I was, I was kind of complaining and saying, I just hadn't made that much of a difference in the younger generation to which Al Mohler said, that isn't your generation, Pastor Johnny. They're removed from you several generations. I'm 58 years old. I mean, I've touched those that now are 40s or in their 40s. The 40s should be touching the ones back in their 30s, and the 30s should be touching the ones in their 20s, and we ought to all be bringing those that are behind us. Now, that's what Jimmy Draper said. He said, bring the next generation. How about Adrian Rogers? What did Adrian Rogers say? He said, every generation needs a general. Thank God for the generals. Thank God for those that are older than I am. Those that have invested in my life have brought me along. I will always praise God for them. So I believe there needs to be mentoring where younger learn from the older and where there's reverse mentoring where the elder learn from the younger. I'm here to say that I've learned a great deal from the younger generation and I've been greatly molded by the older generation. Thank God for them. It's not either or, it's both and. So the kingdom person, he's got possessions to give, places to go, people he wants to grow. I mean, who's on the radar? Who are you influencing for the kingdom? of God. He went and talked about his mentors. He talked about Apollos. Apollos was a mighty man of God. You know who I think of when I read about Apollos? He must have been the George Whitfield of the New Testament. But you remember that he was teaching and there was a few things he just didn't get right. They didn't criticize him, make fun of him. Hey, listen to this. They didn't blog on him. They, they didn't put something ugly on Twitter. They didn't do an article on Facebook. You know what they did? Aquila and Priscilla pulled him aside and just loved him in Jesus and helped him to see it a little clearer. Helped him to be a better man of God. What a great man. There were ministry servants like Stephanus and uh, Fortunus and Acacia. Their entire families were committed to the Lord. Matter of fact, listen to what it says about the first converts. Uh-oh, in your Bible there in verses 13 through 18. It says that they were devoted to ministry. The word that is used there is the word addicted. We've got a ministry at Woodstock under a name called Hope Quest. We heard a great testimony from a young man that Rick Lance sent our way that's been a great blessing to my life from Alabama that uh, was falsely accused of some things. He's gone through our city of refuge the second week in July, he goes back to another church. He had served the same church for 16 years. Wish I had time to tell you the story. I wept this morning as he told the story in the Sunday school class that I attend every week at Woodstock at 8 o'clock. Marty Benton is here, my Sunday school teacher. But here, here was a, a people that was addicted. L listen to this. You want an addiction, a biblical addiction? Be addicted to the ministry of the saints. That's a kingdom person. And then, I was reading the other day in Psalms 18 and verse 2, the Bible says, The Lord is my rock and my fortune, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation. Listen to this. God is my stronghold. People have got strongholds and addictions. How about the stronghold of our life being Almighty God and our addiction being the ministry to the saints? Let me just wrap it up. There's a whole bunch of stuff here. We can skip. Let me lay it out. 
This is, this is so clear. You, you could do a much better job with this text than I can. Here it is. If, I'm a, if I have a kingdom life, if Johnny Hunt, not, not First Baptist Church Woodstock, let's just forget for a minute the church that I serve. I'm talking about my life. When I wrote my check this morning, boy, sometimes you don't know what to say. You don't know whether to just, God can use it to challenge it, or they'll just say he's just bragging. I'm just going to take a chance. When I laid my offering in this morning, it was 45% of the check that was drafted in my name yesterday. God smoothed us along. I'm serious about getting the gospel to nations. My wife and I give hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars every week. Not, not every month, not every year, every week to missions. It's easy to talk, it's easy to challenge the church, but I'm talking about getting on your face before God. What are you doing? Someone says, yeah, you passed it up. There you go again. That, that's, how you, that's how you can do it. You've got to have a big church to do anything. No, you need a big God. When I pastored a church of 35, Janet and I gave a check every month our entire early days to Campus Crusade. We've always been involved in trying to help people come to faith in Jesus Christ. The kingdom life is a life that has possessions they wish to give. You cut things out and begin to say, I want to put it here. Look at me. You sell stuff that you've accumulated that you could put into the kingdom work. Say, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to preach that to my people. I'm not talking about preaching to people. I'm preaching at the pastor's conference of the Southern Baptist Convention. I believe the answer in America is not in the pew until it first of all begins to burn right here in the pulpit with the man of God that leads the people and they emulate it in their own life. Possessions he, he wishes to give. Places he wishes to go. People he wishes to grow. And here it is. Here, here's the bottom line of the kingdom life. If I, if, I don't, if I don't get it right here, I just don't understand my Bible. Here it is. The person he wishes to glorify. Did you see it? In, in the latter verses there, in verses 20 through 24, the Bible says, And all the brethren greet you, greet you one another with a holy kiss. And by the way, I wish to God as we walk the halls of the Southern Baptist Convention, that's the way we could greet one another. Not they're so-and-so. I don't like what they're doing in the Southern Baptist Convention. No. Why don't we get beyond that and say, what are we doing together in the kingdom of God for the glory of God? And then, then listen to what Paul says. Paul says, the salutations of my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. And then he says, our Lord comes. One of the things that brought such fervency in the heart of the apostle Paul is he didn't fuss and make a lot over where he stood on when Jesus was going to come, but I'll tell you what, I can show you in your Bible over again. He believed he was coming in his lifetime. He said, when we which are alive and remain, he believed Jesus was coming in his lifetime. And it, it put an urgency in his life. He was concerned about these people, and he said of them, he said, let them be accursed. Did you know that Paul in Romans later would write, I'm so burdened for those that don't love him. Let me be accursed. Let me be devoted to destruction. Let me go to hell so they can go to heaven. Boy, what a passion to see people come to Jesus. He felt God would be glorified 
through that. And then he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with y'all. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Man, he, he, he spoke of anathema, these people being devoted to, to destruction. Uh, he publicly expressed his love for the saints. Uh, I believe the Lord is glorified when we love him and when we love each other. And so really, the main thing is, we're just in love with Jesus. We just want to be kingdom people. So here, here's the bottom line. What would need to change in our lives for us to embrace a kingdom life? What, what's it going to take to put our yes on the table? And you say, you know what, Lord? My yes is on the table. Everything I have belongs to you. And, and I'm just going to make it available. I'm going to open my hand and, and I'll just do what you want me to do. I'll change my lifestyle, do whatever I need to do to make available to you the possessions that you've given me. Because I want to give them. I want to be a kingdom giver. I want to be, I don't want to be a kingdom leader only. I do want to lead Woodstock to reach its God-given potential. But before that, I want Johnny Hunt to be led to be a kingdom man. I want to give. I have possessions, and I want to give them for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. There's places they're on the agenda. I'm praying for them. God, not if I'm going to go, but when am I going to go and where all am I going to go throughout this nation and the nations of the world? I'm going to get up and beg. Jerry Falwell used to always say, if you read in the morning paper that I died, know that I was, I was overwhelmingly surprised. And we all know that a few years ago, I was just with Jonathan the other day. It's been, gosh, almost five years now since Dr. Falwell died. Dr. Falwell used to always say, he said, when I die, they'll put on my epitaph the beggar died. I want to say this to you, dear friend. When you're giving, you have no trouble asking. I don't even want to carry on a conversation about whether we're going to talk about giving or not. The Bible is, is just full of great passages on giving. We ought to give, places to go. Who is it, the people that God wants me to influence in my lifetime? What's keeping me from influencing other people, pouring into them, being a good steward of anything God's given into my life? And then do I really desire to live that God might be glorified in my life? What does it look like at a Southern Baptist convention for me to leave Phoenix and know that I leave here desiring to glorify God? Help us to have a kingdom life.